Thanks, Linda, for leading this morning and for others that have taken part. It's really good to be in the Lord's house. And uh, I've got a little bit of a challenge this morning to keep myself a little bit briefer than normal. So um, anyway, let's, uh, let's pray and, and uh, commit this time to the Lord, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, you are the author of your word and we pray that you would help us this morning to, uh, to adequately meditate on your word and know that, uh, what you are doing in the lives of people. Lord, we thank you that you are here, that you are always present with us. Help us, Lord, to come into your presence today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In speaking this morning, I'd like to acknowledge uh, Wilmington's Guide to the Bible as a valuable resource this morning, and also, of course, the Bible itself, and looking at the Bible um, following precept inductive Bible study method, uh, beginning with prayer and reading the passage often, uh, marking some of the, the um, important words and phrases that, uh, that uh, reoccur through the passage and that has been helpful. The Word of God is indeed a wonderful book. And uh, some time ago, the preacher Bill Crowder from uh, Radio Bible Class described the Bible as a tapestry. And I brought something like a tapestry along today. Um, and... Uh, but yes, the, the Bible is described as a, as, a, as a tapestry and the whole picture being gradually woven until the big picture finally emerges. And we see some wonderful things on the right side of the tapestry of God's word. We see his, his, his grace, we see his mercy, we see his love, we see his peace and all these wonderful attributes of God that, are, that flow right through the word of God. But uh, we turn over to the other side and uh, we see all the knots, the loose ends. And uh, I picture those as much of the things that have occurred in the life of Joseph, the hardships. Um, and uh, yes, the big picture is available, but it's the knots that take our attention. Well, the Bible is filled, of course, with smaller pictures and the story of, of Joseph is one wonderfully worked picture. picture. And where do, where do we find this picture? Well, of course, it's in the Bible after the creation, the fall, the um, confusion of languages and the dispersion of races, Noah's worldwide flood. And that all takes uh, chapters 1 to 11 of Genesis. And then from Genesis uh, 12 through to 50, we have the story, the history of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Jacob's 12 sons. Of course, there are the wives too, of course, in, in Joseph's family, uh, in, uh, in uh, Jacob's family. And um, his wives were Leah, Rachel, and Bildah. Uh, two of Jacob's sons, Gad and Asher, were born to Leah's maidservant. And two more, Dan and Naphtali, were born, into, born to Rachel's maid servant. Interesting history. And, of course, the story of Joseph is covered in 
uh, chapter 37 and 39 to 50. Well, Linda has already told us a few things about the story of Joseph, so uh, I'll just skip a little bit and uh, go down to where Joseph is sold as a slave to Potiphar. And uh, there he is, he has charge of the whole household of Potiphar. And in the course of his duties, Joseph is enticed to commit immorality with the wife of Potiphar. But he refuses her constant advances. But one day as he walked past her in the course of his duty, uh, she grabbed his coat and pulled it off him. And she cries out for help, accusing Joseph of rape, and Joseph is thrown into prison. But the jailer, like Potiphar, he recognised Joseph's talented character and put him in charge of the entire prison administration. But then, for some reason or other, the anger of Pharaoh is aroused against both his chief baker and the butler, and he sends them off to the prison along with, with Joseph. And while in prison, these two, um, these two men had uh, mysterious dreams. And God, God gives Joseph the ability to correctly interpret each dream. You see, God was with Joseph, not only in Potiphar's household, but he was with him also in prison. So Joseph interprets these dreams correctly, guided by God. The butler's dream, he had seen a vine and three branches that began to bud and blossom and soon clustered and soon produced clusters of wild grapes. And in his dream, the butler then squeezed the juice from the grapes and served it to Pharaoh in the royal uh, wine cup. And what was the meaning of the dream? The three branches meant that within three days, Pharaoh would free him and restore him to his old employment. And Joseph then asked the butler to remember him to Pharaoh and asked him to remember the injustices that he had suffered. But then there was the baker's dream. He saw himself carrying on his head three baskets of pastries. The top basket contained special uh, goods for the pharaoh, but suddenly some birds came down and ate the food. And the meeting of the baker's dream, it meant that within three days, pharaoh would take the baker's head off and that the birds would come and pick off his flesh. And three days later, on his birthday, the pharaoh dealt with the butler and baker exactly as Joseph had predicted he would. But the butler forgot to mention Joseph. Then two years later, the pharaoh experienced two mysterious dreams. He was standing on the bank of the Nile, and seven fat cows uh, came and grazed out on the riverbank. And then seven other cows came up, and they were thin. The ribs stood out, and suddenly the skinny cows ate the fat ones. In the second dream, he saw seven heads of grain on one stalk, and every kernel was well-formed and plump, and suddenly seven more heads appeared on the stalk, but these were shriveled, uh, and uh, the dream ended then as the thin heads devoured the plump ones. So Pharaoh consults the, uh, 
uh, the magicians about these dreams, uh, but they were unable to interpret them. To interpret them. Then the butler suddenly remembers the amazing talent of Joseph and tells Pharaoh those events which occurred in the prison two years back. Joseph sent for uh, Pharaoh sent for Joseph and asked him to interpret the dreams. And Joseph said, "It is not in me." But God will give Pharaoh a favourable answer. And the interpretation? The seven fat cows and the seven plump heads of grain meant there that was seven years of prosperity ahead. And the seven skinny cows and the lean grain meant that a seven-year famine period would follow. And then Joseph advises Pharaoh. In Genesis 41 and 34 we read, let Pharaoh do this. This is Joseph's advice to Pharaoh. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over every land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. Then that food shall be as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine. The advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? Joseph is now 30 years of age. And in one day he had been elevated from the prison to the palace. But you know, it's taken God 13 years to bring him to this place of service. For he was 17 when he first arrived in Egypt. So there were seven good years and followed by seven years of famine. And as the drought continued and struck really hard on people, they came to Pharaoh begging for assistance. And Pharaoh's answer, go to Joseph and do what he says. So here's Joseph, second in the land. Only Pharaoh is superior. But remember Jacob. Jacob's in the story too. And the famine hit him so hard that he sends all his sons except Benjamin to Egypt to buy grain. They arrive in Egypt and bow down before Joseph, but they don't recognise him. And in bowing down, they fulfilled his dream of some 20 years back. There follows now a very interesting part of the story. Joseph does not reveal himself at first, but he accuses his brothers of being foreign spies. And the frightened brothers attempt to convince him otherwise. So the brothers come to Egypt. And they're frightened. They're frightened when, uh, when Joseph accuses them of being spies. In Genesis 42 and verse 10 to 13, he said to them, No, Lord, but your servants have come to buy food. We are all one man's sons. We are honest men. Well, remember that. We are honest men. Uh, your servants are not spies. And they said, your servants are 12 brothers, the sons of one man of the land of Canaan. In fact, the youngest is with our fathers today, and one 
is no more. So Joseph proceeds to test his brothers to see if there's any change of heart and to find out if their father was still alive. So he puts all ten of them in jail for three days. And he said, if you are honest men, let one of you remain in jail. And you go back to your, uh, with your grain and bring the youngest uh, to me. So not knowing Joseph could understand their language, they confessed to one another the guilt of their treatment of Joseph. Simeon is taken back to jail and nine bags are filled with grain. Can you imagine their dismay when uh, these brothers, they find money in one bag when they stop to camp for the night? They found bag, one bag with money in it and uh, this really upset them. And they said when they got home, they also found that there was the payment had been placed in every bag. And they said, what is this that God has done, with us, uh, done, done to us? So the famine intensifies. And Jacob is forced to allow Benjamin to go back with them to Egypt for food. And Judah attempts to guarantee the safety of Benjamin. So they go back and uh, Simon is released and he joins the group. And so for the first time in 20 years, all the brothers are together again, but only Joseph is aware of that fact. The brothers are fed at a separate table to that of Joseph and to their amazement, he sits all brothers in order of their ages, and he gives Benjamin five times as much food as the others. Well, before they return the next morning to uh, head off to Canaan, Joseph once more again secretly places the payment of money in each man's sack, along with Joseph's own silver cup at the top of Benjamin's sack. The brothers leave the city. And then they are arrested at Joseph's command and accused of stealing the silver cup. Of course, they quickly denied this charge and they said, well, if any, any of the loot can be found, uh, we'll really be in trouble. So the search quickly reveals that the, that the cup was in Benjamin's sack. So they come back, all of them come back to stand in the presence of Joseph again. And uh, it is Judah who steps up this time and he tells Joseph that their old father Jacob would die if anything should happen to Benjamin. And Joseph can't contain himself any longer and he reveals his identity uh, to the brothers. Well, Joseph reassures his brothers that he has no hard feelings uh, towards them. But he tells them that there's another five years of drought to come and urges, urges them to go back and bring their father Jacob uh, and, uh, and um, uh, come back and to, to live in, uh, in Egypt. And of course, 
they did eventually come. There was actually 70 members of Jacob's household that came down into Egypt at that time. And uh, in Egypt, they were allotted a special um, part of the land for them to live in. And there in Egypt, Jacob's descendants would be forced to remain as a separate and a distinct people because they were shepherds and shepherds were an abomination to the Egyptians and thus there would be no intermarriage and they would remain God's chosen people, the children of Israel. Well, Joseph died and uh, then as the story goes on, the brothers thought that there would be problems now that Jacob was gone and and, ben, and, um, and Joseph would be out to, uh, um, to create some problems for them. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for I, am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant, it, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And Joseph tells them that um, God will surely visit you and you will carry my bones up from here to the promised land. And Joseph actually died being 110 years old and uh, they embalmed his body and the book of Genesis concludes with the fact that they placed Joseph's body in the coffin. I guess it would be important to ask some questions here. Why does the story of Joseph take so much space in Genesis when he's not in direct line to Jesus as um, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob are? Well, what can we learn from the story? Well, one thing we can learn from the whole account in Genesis is that Genesis is the seed plot of the whole body. We can find every doctrine in the Bible, in essence, in Genesis, if we study the stories closely enough. Everything is there in, 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 in essence. We learn, of course, of the temptation. And we learn that temptation can be frequent and powerful as Joseph experienced. But he didn't yield. Interestingly, David Jeremiah speaking on television about Joseph a couple of weeks ago, he touched on this matter of the temptation. And he said, buy the best running shoes you can buy. <laughs> buy the best running shoes you can buy. But then he added, of course, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. No temptation has taken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. He's saying there is nothing that is going to overpower us, but God will help us through it. Back in 1950, 
Two, 1953, had bought Higher Elementary School. There was an old Anglican minister came along to religious instruction once a fortnight uh, to us young kids. He was old. He's probably only about 50 or something, but anyway. And uh, we could guarantee that when he came, he would do two things. And one was that we would, well, he taught us and we needed to recite the Apostles' Creed. Every second Friday, we did that. The other thing that you could guarantee was that we would sing one hymn. I'm not sure whether it was the only one he knew, but he might have thought that it was the one that we needed to learn. And guess what it was? Yield not to temptation, for yielding is sin. Each victory will help you, some other to win. Fight manfully onward, Dark passion subdue, look ever to Jesus, he will carry you through. You know, every fortnight, for probably a year we got that, we got that hymn. I think he thought that we probably needed it. <laughs> well, we didn't mention chapter 38. It's a tragic Disturbing passage is the account of Judah's sortie with the immoral. A very, very sad chapter indeed, yet amazing that this didn't destroy God's plan to use the tribe of Judah for centuries, eventually leading to the birth of Jesus and beyond. I think there's a very, very strong point that God is sovereign. He is sovereign. And he can use even the, the knots on the back of the tapestry to add to the main picture and to keep the main picture in order. Well, we learn from, uh, from the story of Joseph that dreams had a pl- have a place. Nebuchadnezzar's dream interpreted by Daniel gave us an outline of the world powers from then until the end of the age. And the Magi at the birth of Jesus were divinely warned, warned not to return to uh, Herod. And also Joseph at that time was warned in a dream to flee to, to Egypt because Herod sought to destroy the young child. But we also learn about character building as Joseph serves well as a slave. He accepts the charge of... Uh, he accepts the false charge of immoral conduct and the subsequent imprisonment without rebelling or using legal aid. We see God using this actually to set up Joseph to be the second in command of Egypt in order to save many nations from destruction through years of famine. But it's even much more than this, these, the, the story of Joseph. There are serious family Uh, matters to deal with. The brothers who lived in disagreement and doing things behind their father's back. Just think of the ways Joseph handled this testing of their honesty and gradually setting the scene for conviction of selling uh, brother Joseph to slave traders and deceiving their father. I suggest sometimes this week you try and read the full account of Genesis uh, 37 to 50. And while you're, while you're reading that, see if you can find 21 amazing similarities between the life of Joseph 
and the Lord Jesus. It takes about, uh, takes about an hour to do that. But Jacob lived for over 20 years grieving the loss of his son. And his, his 11 sons knew the grief they had caused. There was massive, massive healing needed. But the story of Joseph uh, is far more important than even this. From creation, Satan is out to destroy God's purpose in the big picture of history. But God is sovereign, sovereign in bringing the world through worldwide flood and giving mankind a fresh beginning through Noah. God is sovereign in calling Abraham and establishing the unconditional and everlasting covenant. He's sovereign in proclaiming that covenant to Isaac and to Jacob and also in Jacob's last words and blessing to his sons Judah receives the greatest blessing. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. And also he said Judah is a lion's cub. Looking forward, of course, to the, uh, the Lion of Judah, who features in the book of Revelation. God is sovereign in bringing the family of 12 together as one. The 12 tribes feature in the camping around the tabernacle during the wilderness wanderings. They feature also in the allotment of, uh, the land, of, uh, in allotment of land and the land of promise. Uh, tribe by tribe, of course, all except the tribe of Levi, Levi, as they had the full responsibility for the tabernacle in those days. Ezekiel chapter 47 prophetically describes the land allotment to the 12 tribes in the last days. You see, God hasn't finished with the children of Israel yet. Ezekiel 48 describes the gates of the new city of Jerusalem, named after the 12 tribes. So God has again shown his sovereignty in keeping the 12 tribes in focus. God's plan is not destroyed. So the story of Joseph, God meant it for good, then, now, and into the future. God meant it for good then through Joseph's wife, and I think we've covered that uh, fairly well this morning. And then God meant it for good now and for you and for me. The preservation of the 12 tribes is important to you and me today. The ancestry line of generations to Jesus Christ was preserved by Joseph being God's man in the right place at the right time. And in Matthew's Gospel, Judah is listed as the ancestor of Jesus. Now we could even say that the death of Jesus on the cross seems such a tragedy, but God also meant that for good, for the forgiveness of our sin and to be assured of a place in heaven. And so God is preparing his people. He's preparing us now. Even through the writings of the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul is identified as being from the tribe of Benjamin. This is the sovereign God at work, and he is at work 
in the lives of you and me. There are three scriptures, I think, to keep in mind regarding God's continuing work in us. Ephesians 2.10 For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God beforehand uh, prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Philippians 1.6 Being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So whatever the adverse circumstances we face as we endeavour to walk with the Lord, we can learn from the story of Joseph that God is sovereign and we can be confident that he will do his perfect work in and through us. The third verse was Romans 8.28, which is well known. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And we find that difficult to understand at times, don't we? How can all things always work together for good? Well, friends, we, we all suffer some tragedy, some failure, some adverse circumstances, some illnesses, broken relationships, disappointments, betrayals, sometimes wandering away from the Lord. But God can take these things and he can use us to shape us to be the people that he wants us to be. I'm not saying that God orchestrates all these things. Sometimes he allows them, as we learn from, uh, from Job. But God can use them. And Joseph teaches us that God can and does all things for good. Yes, God meant it for good here and now. And then God meant it for good into the future. The 12 tribes of Israel feature from Genesis through to Revelation and contributing towards the big picture tapestry. In Exodus, we find the description of the high priest's breastplate adorned with precious 12 precious stones and engraved with the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. You know, Queen Esther, she was from the tribe of Benjamin too, and she was in the right place at the right time to save her people. The prophets often refer to the 12 tribes of Israel. The New Testament, um, Joseph, as I've already mentioned, was from the house of David of the tribe of Judah. Anna the priestess, who was present there at the dedication of Jesus in the temple, was from the tribe of Asher. And of course, the Lord Jesus is identified in, Rome, in, uh, in Revelation as the lion of the tribe of Judah. But there's more mention of the 12 tribes in Revelation. We know that in the, in the, I'm not going to get too much into the prophetical side of this, but just to mention a few things here, that uh, in the early stages of the tribulation, uh, when, uh, uh, when some of the, some of the um, uh, wrath of God was being poured out, uh, there were 12 tribes 
who were sealed. In other words, 12 tribes of Israel who were protected from the wrath of God during that time of tribulation. And in uh, Revelation verse 4, we read, um, chapter 7, verse 4, we read, And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. They were seized, sealed. Judah, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Ezekiah, Zebulun, Joseph and Benjamin. And then John the Apostle John writes, And after these things I look and behold a great number which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to God who sits on the throne and of the Lamb. Amazing, amazing that the sovereignty of God has ruled right through, even through to the time of the, the tribulation. So that is the, the big picture. This is the ultimate picture, the ultimate purpose of God who works all things according to his sovereign power. The survival of the 12 tribes of Israel under Joseph's management point us toward the New Jerusalem, also described in, uh, in Revelation. And where the tribe, 12 tribes are also named there as part of the gates of the new city. But here at this New Jerusalem, the story of Joseph so very important, yet it fades into insignificance. The attraction of the genealogy pointing to Judah as ancestor of Jesus Christ also loses its luster. The fact of our salvation and God perfecting his work in us also falls short of the ultimate glory. Our sovereign God has planned from the foundation of the world that we shall see Jesus as he is. And we shall be fully occupied, not with the story of Joseph, not with the 12 tribes of Israel, but we will be fully occupied with the one who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. For worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and blessing. There's a verse of an old hymn that perhaps illustrates this for us. The bride eyes not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face. I will not gaze at glory, but on my King of grace. Not at the crown he giveth, but on his pierced hand. The lamb is all the glory in Emmanuel's land. There would be none of that if it wasn't for Joseph and God's sovereign work in his life. Just a couple of things to, to finish up with. God is present both in the palaces and the prisons. And in the years of feasts, 
and in the years of famine. And the Joseph story also reveals that even though we cannot control circumstances, we can control how we respond to those circumstances. So this is the story of Joseph. The tapestry of his his, um, picture is complete. The word of God portrays the ultimate big picture of eternity. But for you and for me, we are still creating our picture. On the back are the knots and the loose ends. Necessary, of course, for our picture. Sometimes the difficulties, the the adversities, the illnesses overwhelm us and we fail to see how God is working. It's so hard at times to turn the picture over and to see that God is working. Yes, our individual pictures are incomplete. Some of us have only gone so far. Others have gone a bit further. Some of us are getting near the end and there are still some loose threads to be woven. And my challenge this morning is how are we going to weave those threads? Are we going to be looking for God's perfect plan and have those threads all in, 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 in place? Or it's going to be messy on the other side. We can control the way we, we respond to God's perfect plan for us. So seek God's direction with all your heart. Confess the wrongs. Accept the forgiveness through the Lord Jesus Christ. The story of Joseph encourages us to keep on trusting our sovereign Lord. At each stage in Joseph's life, he knew that God was with him. So keep trusting the sovereign Lord, for we do know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Remember, God meant it for good. May you be encouraged by this truth this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do indeed thank you that you are the one who helps us to control our reactions to the circumstances in our lives. Thank you, Lord, that the story of Joseph encourages us to trust you and to trust you wholly. Help us to do that, we pray, this week in everything that we face in everything that comes our way. Lord, we just thank you for your work in the lives of each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.